New, new, new black, new, new black Wall Street book club. Evan Jefferson, brother, much love. Educating, elevating, because in knowledge is the power and we'll never give it up. <laughs> Literature is for the masses. Where to put your money down the how to watch your assets. Yeah, uplifting others is a passion. My brother Evan, he will turn it into action. New Black Wall Street Book Club. You should come read with come us. Read with us. Yeah, we comprehend and discuss. Yeah. If we all just come together, there's no limit for there's us. No limit for us. <laughs> Here comes your host, New Black Wall Street. Evan, take it away. New Black Wall Street Book Club. Welcome to the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put it in a book, we absolutely will find it. I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, CEO of ERGJ Enterprises, ERGJ Black Bazaar, and international best selling author of the book. The Black Billionaires Club. It's a study of black wealth. It's a study of the 12 richest black people in the world today and how they built their wealth. And I just believe that if you want to be wealthy, you should study wealthy people. We can find that book by going to the website www.theblackbillionairesclub.com www.theblackbillionairesclub.com You'll find that link in the description above or below. In today's episode of the New Black Wall Street Book Club, we continue along in our journey into the book, What Makes the Great Great? Strategies for Extraordinary Achievement by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. What Makes the Great Great? Strategies for Extraordinary Achievement by Mr. Dennis Kimbrough. There is a better way. You're probably living in your own little comfort zone, performing unchallenging tasks where no one will bother you, taking no risk, facing few problems, never concerned about growth or pushing your potential. You call this living? Hopefully, it's hurting you deep down inside. Why? Because people don't change when they feel good. They change when they're fed up. Pain pushes us to those crucial turning points. And one day, enough will be enough. Is there a better way? Yes, there's a better way. And it starts with each of us when we dare to answer the question, why am I here? How would you answer that question? Why are you here? It's been said that if the universe is an accident, then we are accidents. But if there's meaning in the universe, then there must be meaning in us too. Throughout the ages, great men and women have addressed themselves to the purpose of life. Each of us, from time to time, must ask ourselves, where am I going? Am I living in such a way to bring lasting important benefits to myself and those who depend on me? Am I honestly proud of the job I'm doing and the manner in which I have been conducting myself. What is man anyway? Asked Dr. Benjamin E. Mays of a group of Morehouse students. Man is flesh and blood, body and mind, bones and muscle, arms and legs, heart and soul, lungs and liver, nerves and veins. All these and more make a man. But man is really what his dreams are. Man is what he inspires to be. 
He is the ideals that beckon him on. Man is the integrity that keeps him steadfast, honest, and true. If a young man tells me what he aspires to be, I can almost predict his future. An individual cannot aspire if he or she looks down, Dr. Mays continued. The Creator has not molded us with aspirations and longings for heights to which we cannot climb. Look upward. The unattained calls us to climb new mountains. You cannot have too much of that emotion called ambition. For even though you do not attain your ideal, the effort you make will bring nothing but blessings. Life should be lived in earnest. It is no idle game, no force, no farce to amuse and to be forgotten. I once knew a colored boy, said Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist, whose mother and father died when he was six years old. He was a slave and had no one to care for him. He slept on a dirt floor in a hovel. In cold weather, he would crawl into a burlap sack, resting his next feet, his feet next to an open pit hearth. Many times an ear of corn stood between him and starvation. That boy did not wear long pants as you do, but a towel linen shirt. Schools were unknown to him, and he learned to spell from an old Webster's Dictionary. He would then preach and speak, and soon develop a following. He became presidential elector, United States marshal, United States recorder, a diplomat, and accumulated great wealth. He, bore bro he wore broadcloth and didn't have to divide crumbs with dogs under the table. Who was that boy? That child was me, Frederick Douglass. Here's a quick quote from Malcolm X. says this, each of us should make the most of our lives. We should give life our best. Let us use our lives more wisely to chase our dreams, find our true purpose, and be as happy and successful as possible. Don't think because you're a colored you can't succeed, Douglas urged on. Strive earnestly to add to your knowledge. Don't get bitter, get better. What was possible for me is possible for you, but you must have purpose. Stand up, admonished Martin Luther King. Why? Because a man can't ride your back unless it's bent over. Show me a contented slave, explained Nat Turner, a man whose entire life was spent at the end of a chain, and I'll show you a man without hope or purpose. Albert Einstein takes a step in a different direction. The more I study physics, he wrote, the more I'm drawn to metaphysics. Man is here for the sake of other, of other men only. Dr. Einstein believed that the universe could not have been an accident. And he addressed himself to the purpose of life. Think for a moment. Man is here for the sake of other men only. Though Einstein belonged to no religious sect or formal ecclesiastical order, the eminent phys physicist was a deeply spiritual person in the cosmic realm. In this particular case, Einstein used the term man in its classical sense to mean human beings, both male and female. Do you agree? Is it that is that the way you answered this question? Do you believe that you are here solely to serve others? And through serving others, you are being served and enjoying life as a result? We are here for the sake of serving others only. And only to the extent that we serve others will we know the purpose of living. It is my sincere desire that you grasp the power of this fundamental principle and the magic that it holds. Each of us needs a settled purpose in life, a target, then, then, by doing our very best every day, we will reach this point on which we have set our 
Compass. Finding your area of excellence. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the 19th century poet and essayist, wrote, the world makes way for the person who knows where he or she is going. Think what it means to know where you are going. You immediately, you immediately eliminate all doubts and fears. By identifying your purpose, you cannot be led astray by circumstances or by those who are not yet convinced of the power you possess. Do you lead the pack or do you blindly follow the path of others? Have you found your area of excellence? In a 1991 survey, 64% of Americans aged 25 to 49 said they fantasize about quitting their jobs to live on a desert island, travel around the world, or do something else for enjoyment. Have you ever had that feeling? Do you have that feeling right now? Are you happy in your work? What type of work would you would be more meaningful for you? In a 1981 study, 43% of Americans polled said a lot of money was the key to making a job worth doing. By 1992, a follow-up study revealed that number had jumped to 62%. But is it really just money that makes work meaningful? Or is there more to it than that? A major university asked thousands of workers to list the most important aspects of meaningful work. Respondents checked the following eight items in order of importance. Number one, my job must be interesting. Number two, I must receive enough support to get my duties done. Number three, I must have enough information to get the job done. Number four, I must have enough authority to get the job done. Number five, the pay should be good. Number six, there must be ample opportunity for me to develop my abilities. Number seven, there must be some degree of job security. And number eight, I must be able to see results of my efforts. What would you add to this list? What would you like to change in order to make your work or even life more meaningful? I recently addressed a group of students at the Atlanta University Complex in Atlanta, Georgia. The AU Center is comprised of four historic black colleges, Clark Atlanta University, Spelman, Morris Brown, and Morehouse. Many of the students were seniors and upperclassmen who had grown in poverty and had expected experienced tough times. But it was obvious in their earnest faces that they had a positive attitude toward life and that it had already taken them far. Now, now they were confronting a new and in many ways more daunting challenge. The challenge of setting goals based on their desires and unique gifts. For some people, this is no challenge. These are the select individuals that the writer and philosopher Earl Nightingale called goal people. Goal people, according to Nightingale, are those who seem to be able to do many things with equal facility and equal interest and enjoyment. Nightingale explained that each of us, because of the way our gene genetic heritage is stacked, has an area of great interest. And, in, and it is that area that we should explore with the patience and the assiduity of a paleontologist on an important dig. This statement both frames and illustrates the very essence of achievement. High achieving men and women, particularly those who have, who have mastered a chosen field, always attain depth of knowledge in at least one area. Through perseverance and hard work, 
They may well they may be well versed in a variety of areas, but they are extremely knowledgeable in one key area. This is the process that leads to competence. It begins with an initial discovery, a discovery about what you can excel at doing and what you love to do. This is the key. Throughout my years of research, this one strategy is held true. Success and wealth can only be secured after you've identified your area of excellence. John Rogers, a millionaire investor, delights in his work and, is, and it has paid off. As his money managing ambitions grew so, grew so too did his firm. In 1983, he conceived the idea of an investment company when others viewed his efforts as an unworkable pipe dream. Despite years of hardship and toil, he survived and prospered. What's his secret? A variety of factors entered the picture, but one occupies a dominant position. I love my work, the young tycoon says ecstatically. I enjoy the thrills and excitement that the market provides, and I deeply enjoy those moments when I've helped a client increase his or her net worth. Frank Mingo, the creator of Kentucky Fried Chicken's highly successful pitch line, We Do Chicken Right, told me that he views life as one big marketing campaign. Whatever I'm doing, whether at home, the office, or socializing among friends, my mind is constantly tossing over new ideas and concepts to test with clients. Sometimes I can't wait to try a new approach. Find a field where you can excel, explained Ebony Magazine's publisher, John Johnson. One of the nice things about life is that it affords us a wealth of opportunity. Choose a product or service and set out to be the best in terms of quality and service. Select the market that you can serve better than anyone else. If you can't win the game by pre-established rules, then either change your game or change the rules. Though her first impulse was to study classical piano, the academic choice of someone who would who could read music before she could read books, Condoleezza Rice chose instead to follow her inner impulse, a love and attraction to different cultures. In high school, a counselor told her she was not college material. Not only did Condoleezza prove to be college material, but she graduated from the University of Denver at age 19 and went on to become a leading Soviet scholar, a field that traditionally attracts few blacks. I've always been able to follow something that interested me, she explained, regardless of the risk involved. Here's a black woman, barely 40, who grew up in the face of racial hostility in Birmingham, Alabama, who served on the National Security Council under one U.S. president and translated Russian and Soviet affairs under another. Today, Dr. Rice is the first of her gender and race to occupy the post of Provost of Stanford University, a position widely regarded as a stepping stone to the presidency of a major American university. How did she move with breathtaking acceleration from the round tables of the White House to the lecture halls of academia? Her secret is captured in a nutshell. There's nothing standing in your way to do whatever you want to do, provided you know what you want to do and love to do it. Education is of no value. Talent is worthless unless you have one unwavering aim. Never find yourself without a compass. I continually encounter the underlying relationship between love of work and success in the marketplace. One of the sad realities of our world is that most people are unhappy in their work. To listen to people talk, it seems as though they believe that if they could just make more money, they would enjoy their work. Actually, the opposite is closer to the truth. If they enjoyed their work more, they probably would earn more money. Aristotle wrote, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. The secret is to figure out what you really enjoy doing without regard of the potential financial rewards. 
and no one can predict what the financial rewards ultimately might be if you possess a passion or love for your work. A quick word from our sponsor. Four questions to greatness. Before you lies a feast of ideas. Strategies that are sure to satisfy your appetite for success and happiness. But during the course of your life, you must answer the four questions of greatness. The answers are the keystone to superior achievement. Finding these answers calls for no special effort. These four questions make no unreasonable demands upon your time or ability. But make no mistake, if you are to experience all that life holds, you must decide now upon your purpose. Decide where you are going. Begin from where you are. Start with whatever means of attaining your objective might be at hand. Soon, you will discover that to the extent you make use of these resources, other and better means will have revealed themselves to you. Remember, your life's purpose will not be revealed through any one of these answers alone, but your answers are keys to unlocking the secret of your true purpose. Question number one. What do you love to do? What occupation fills you with joy? What chosen field could you throw your heart and soul into? A large percentage of today's population do not enjoy their work. This is a tragic fact, considering that work consumes so much of our lives. Successful men and women deploy, develop a passion for their work. They love their chosen vocation so much so, they so much they, they choose their endeavor even if it doesn't lead to great financial success. You had no limitations in terms of time or money. What would you enjoy doing so much that you would choose this area of interest for the indefinite future? The answer to this question is an indication of your labor of love. Question number two. What would you do for free? What would you do if no one paid you a dime? Fulfilled men and women are often misunderstood. As we watch them go about their daily routines, we find attitudes and values that contradict much of what we are taught. We are cautioned not to work hard or too much. Typically, society views work as something done from Monday through Friday, a compartmentalized bit of life void of fun and happiness. The phrases, thank God it's Friday and stormy Monday have emerged from the notion that the work week is filled with toil and drudgery. No matter how impersonal, dull, or tedious the job might seem to others, for successful men and women, their work is their play. And if you're doing what you love to do, your work becomes your play. And if your work becomes your play, you will never work a day in your life. Question number three. What comes easy to you but difficult to others? What is your area of unfair competitive advantage? Almost anyone who devotes himself to a given vocation and who pours his love and energy into that activity develops a certain talent and genius in that field. Any work can serve this purpose. Whatever it is you choose to do, if done with the right attitude and proper affection, becomes a graceful, joyful activity that leads to a level of proficiency. Examine your current vocation to determine whether it enlists your talents and skills. 
Each of us has an area of unfair competitive advantage. Seek to identify yours and set out to leave a lasting legacy by investing in your special gift. Question number four. How do others view your talents and gifts? As discussed, work can provide us with so much enjoyment that it begins to be experienced as play. However, prior to experiencing work in this most exuberant, almost effortless state, we must first know ourselves well enough to consciously choose the correct path for vocation. This demands not only courage, but a type of intuition that separates us from society's expectations and definition of success. Some people are naturally intuitive. Others must seek the support of friends and relatives by asking, what field am I best suited for? Or what career or occupation do you think I would be most effective at? Check your attitudes and feelings about your work with those whom you respect. Sometimes others can see from a distance what you and I cannot see up close. Significant others can often support self-examination to determine whether a job or position is the right one for us. These questions represent the final door through which all must pass to attain greatness. Each answer will provide a key that will unlock this door, and the keys will be in your hands when you have prepared yourself to accept them. From this moment on, and for what remains of your life, make a commitment to answer these questions and uncover your life's purpose. Remember, you have but one life to live. The power of one unwavering aim. In the boom years of the late 1970s, the truth had nearly been forgotten. Jake Simmons Jr., wildcatter, lease broker, oil trader, an outspoken black businessman, made a name for himself in one of America's most hostile arenas, the international oil industry. Jonathan Greenberg, in his book Staking a Claim, chronicles the life of the unsung entrepreneur not only became the world's first internationally successful black oil man, but also managed to integrate into his life a bold career as a civil rights leader. Simmons was a man who believed that life centered on constant struggle, a challenge to be met by working harder than, the than, than was necessary and by proving that the power of his potential was greater than any measure of racism which sought to restrain him. How in hell can a black man stay in bed in the morning when white men rule the world? Simmons would ask his sons. I'm convinced, he wrote, he wrote to his eldest son, J.J. Simmons III, that wisdom is acquired by living purposefully and objectively. One must discipline and control himself. Always keep yourself in a firm position to defend your integrity. Here was a black man who believed in capitalism and the opportunities of the American system. And he was determined to make those opportunities exist for himself and those of his race. Simmons, part Creek Indian, part African, was raised on his family's 840-acre ranch in Oklahoma. He attended Tuskegee Institute, where Booker T. Washington was to have a profound impact on his life. At a time when contracts were less significant than a man's word, Simmons earned a reputation as honest and trustworthy. During the Depression, he left his home state in, in lure of business deals in the rough and tumble region of East Texas. Blacks owned land there, but few had the resources or connections to produce oil. Simmons found a white lawyer willing to defend their interests and a wealthy oil man willing to buy 
their leases. He peddled black oil leases around plane, around the plains and received percentages and handsome commissions. He used his money to drill for oil near Muskogee, an oil-drenched eastern Oklahoma town. After numerous dry holes, he struck it big in 1949 and made his first million. Wow, I never heard of this guy. With this approach, he took on the pro prohibitive stereotypes of a segregated industry and won the respect of America's oil tycoons. An unshakable optimist, Simmons' expertise as an articulate and persuasive salesman eventually allowed him to bridge the gap between post-colonial West African nations seeking outside investment and international American mineral companies searching for opportunities in foreign lands. Newborn African states like Nigeria and Ghana had only shaken free from British rule for a few years when Simmons arrived there in the mid-1960s. During the sensitive Nigerian negotiations for what proved to be the most profitable oil deal an American company ever struck in Sub-Saharan Africa, Simmons helped solidify the transaction. Over the next decade, he constructed similar deals in the Ivory Coast and Liberia. Because of his efforts, American multinationals were to invest more than $150 million in Ghana alone. Just three years before his death in 1978, the Ghanaian government awarded him its grand medal, the nation's highest honor. Even after his death, Simmons' oil operations continued to thrive. For the past two decades, Simmons Royalty Company, a holding company managed by his youngest son, has expanded throughout Africa's west coast. The simple story reveals a precious secret that most, that's most effective and uncovered by you, the reader. Jake Simmons Jr. walked with a specific plan, and he conditions his mind so thoroughly that nothing was going to keep him from making his mark. In his own words, Simmons states that wisdom is acquired by living purposefully and objectively. The individual who knows where he or she is going and is determined to get there will find a way or create one. There's no grander sight in the world than that of an individual fired up with a purpose, dominated by un one unwavering aim. The man or woman with a resolute purpose, with an overriding passion, is always a minority of one. This once poor black man, raised near an Indian reservation in the Southwest, had an idea and a plan that never, that neither ridicule, hardship, nor humiliate, humiliating defeat could conquer. Born up by this purpose, he pressed steadily toward his goal. In the entire history of the human race, there's never been, nor there, nor will there ever be, anyone just like you. The odds of another human being possessing your unique combination of characteristics and qualities are more than 50 billion to one. This means that you have the potential to do something special or extraordinary with your life. Something that no one else can do. However, I must ask, are you going to do it? It's true that some people are born with rare, unique gifts, but most of us are introduced to life with average talents and abilities. Those individuals that society labels great reach high levels of performance by developing their talents to a very high degree in the field of their choice. In other words, your potential lies dormant. It must be identified and developed if you hope to get more out of life. The formula for success is simple. A few simple disciplines practice every day. If you truly wish, the revelation in this chapter can mark the turning point of your life. Make your own choices before life makes them for you. If you're going to have a new future, you need a new beginning. 
If you're going to realize a new destiny, you will need a point of origin. Of all the questions asked by those who dare to succeed, one stands above the rest. I want to succeed, but how? Allow me to answer as simply as possible by utilizing your greatest gift. No life ever grows great until it is dedicated, disciplined, and focused. This is the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put in a book, we absolutely will find it. And I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, and we invite you to join the Black Billionaires Club. Get connected with brothers and sisters who are serious about winning with money, serious about success, and super serious about helping you to accomplish your goals and to build your dreams. Check out the website at www.theblackbillionairesclub.com, www.theblackbillionairesclub.com. You can find that link in the description above or below. Make a decision to change the rest of your life. We'd ask that you would subscribe and support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes to improve financial literacy within our community and ultimately to help us to build the School of Wealth, to build an institution that will teach the next generation about money. And your small monthly contribution can make all the difference. Well, we want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the New Black Wall Street Book Club. We want you to remember this, that it takes a village. And it starts with us. Let's build as we climb together. We all we got, people. And thank God that that's more than enough. Until next episode, you know what time it is. Mr. DJ, hit the music. New, new, new black, new. It's the new black Wall Street book club. Wall Street. <laughs> your host Evan Jefferson. Evan Jefferson it's time for us to go yeah now you ain't gotta leave the computer but we encourage you to get out there and learn and apply all the things you learn at the new black wall street book club book club <laughs> yeah new black wall street